fact, morning, we are beginning the end of our uh, exposition of the book of Acts together. We will get all the way through Acts chapter 28 uh, together this morning. And then in January, um, I'm going to do a series called We Are Acts 29. And, um, and we'll take at least the first three Sundays in January to walk through a series called We Are Acts 29, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. But this morning, we're going to be looking together at Acts chapter 28, and we're going to read that passage together here in just a moment. Um, let me encourage you, as we, as we open the Word of God together, I hope that you will take just a moment, and I'm going to give you just 30 seconds here in a minute to pray. And I want to encourage you to pray and ask God to help you clear your thoughts, clear your heart, clear um, your, your, uh, your schedule for the next 30 minutes or so. I say 30 minutes, and you're like, yeah, right, 30 minutes. 30 minutes, give or take, um, to really give attention to God's Word. God wants to speak to us this morning, and He's going to do it through my words, but only as my words are effectively representing His words. And so let's take 30 seconds, and I want you to just talk to God about preparing your heart and mind to receive from Him this morning, okay? So I'm going to be quiet for 30 seconds, and I'm going to give you a moment of silence to pray. Father, we together come before you this morning. And whether we've thought about it yet or not, we need you. We need you more than we even realize we need you. We need church more than we even realize we need church. We need these simple and old hymns that we've already sung this morning. Father, would you please meet with us? We know that you're omnipresent, so you're, we know you're here. We know you are always fully and completely everywhere. But Father, when we ask you to meet with us, we're asking for something I think that's a little different than simply your omnipresence. We're asking that you would send your spirit in a way that would make our eyes to see and our ears to hear, our spiritual hearts to beat, our spiritual understanding to comprehend. Father, we're asking you this morning to take your word and by your spirit make us like your son. Father, we know that you would be pleased to do this, so we're asking in faith that you would please do that for us this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen, amen. Well, Matt Moore is away. He and Jordan are away this morning. Matt's doing a funeral today, doing a funeral for Jordan's grandfather. Many of you know uh, that, that story and, and are aware that that's going on. And in a couple of days, I'm doing a funeral uh, here at Liberty for um, someone that 
attended Liberty years and years ago. It's not someone that I've ever known uh, or ever met. Um, but I'll be doing a funeral here on Tuesday as well. And funerals are kind of an interesting thing, aren't they? Um, someone's going to do your funeral someday. Someone's going to do my funeral someday. And, and what, what is said at a funeral is interesting sometimes, isn't it? You ever been to a funeral and you hear the person, the, the preacher, talking about the deceased? And you're thinking to yourself, does he know who he's talking about? Because I know the deceased, and that's not that guy. I think sometimes there are things that are said about a person at a funeral, and you know we're doing our very best job to put a good positive spin on this thing, but what is said at, about someone at a funeral doesn't determine the reality of that person's life. The, the people who attend your funeral will know how you used your life. See, you're, you're writing your obituary right now. Right now. You're writing your biography, and there may not be someone actually putting pen to paper and writing down your life story, but as you're living your life, you're writing your life story right here, right now. And we are getting to the end of one of the most comprehensive sections of Scripture dealing with Paul's life. And as we come to the conclusion of the book of Acts, we're seeing how Paul lived his life. And we don't have to wait to hear someone give a funeral obituary for us to determine whether or not that was really accurately how Paul lived. We can see how Paul lived. We know what kind of man God had made Paul to be. And this is a man who is consumed with one thing. He's consumed with one thing. We don't get to the end of the book of Acts and wonder what Paul was really passionate about. Right? We don't, we don't get to the end and think he was really primarily all about tent making. He loved making tents, and he told people about Jesus a little bit in the process. Right? No, I mean, it was the other way around. We, we, don't, we don't get the sense that, you know, Paul was the one who could provide the rating, the five-star rating on every prison between Jerusalem and Rome, though he could have done that, right? We, we, we read the story of Paul, and we know what his life was all about. His life is completely about sharing the gospel of King Jesus in fact, look at the end of chapter 28 first. We're going to read the whole chapter here together in just a moment. But I love the last two verses of chapter 28. Paul lived there in Rome two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to them. Now, this is one of those times where the verse division is unhelpful. Right, We think that we're starting a new thought in verse 31, but, but ignore the number 31 there. He welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. He welcomed all who came to them. And how, how did he welcome them? He welcomed them by proclaiming the gospel to him. Paul was a man who lived his life welcoming people to the gospel. Paul was a man who lived his life welcoming people to the gospel. Welcome to the gospel. And that's my title for the sermon this morning. My title for the sermon this morning is Welcome 
to the gospel. Now let's read through Acts 28. And as we do, I'll make a few comments as we read this really cool story. Kids, pay attention because this is a, especially this first, these first 10 verses are really cool verses. It's a, just a, it would make a great movie. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta, right? They're shipwrecked. They, they come upon this island and they find out that they're on the island of Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness. Now, when we hear the word native, we think of like the natives of South America or the natives of Africa, or the native just means they lived there. They were native to that place. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. Remember, this is the stormy season there in the Mediterranean Sea. It was cold, it was wet, it was rainy, and if you're shipwrecked on an island, one of the first and most comforting things that you would enjoy is you'd be figuring out a way, let's, let's make a fire. Well, they, they, they're taking care of their physical needs. They build a fire for him. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper, a snake, came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Are you picturing this? Right? Paul's gone, and he's gathered up a bunch of sticks there, um, you know, in the, in the bushes, in the, or in the trees, you know, near the beach. And he throws this um, pile of sticks onto the fire, and there was a snake in the sticks. And the snake comes out and latches itself onto Paul's hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, right? So I don't know how long this takes, but in that split second where Paul is withdrawing his hand and the snake is dangling from his hand, this viper, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Why would they be thinking that? Well, for, for a number of different reasons, right? But first of all, they're aware that the ship that just wrecked was a ship containing prisoners. There were Roman soldiers and there were other prisoners along with Paul. And so the people on Malta, they knew we're going to build a fire for these bad guys. We're, we're, gonna, we're, we're, we're kind enough that we'll show them some kindness and some generosity, but this is a prisoner ship, and Paul is a prisoner amongst other prisoners, and they see, ha, huh, he escaped the judgment of and the justice that the storm was going to bring. He survived the storm, but justice, the gods, lowercase g, the gods have caught up with this man, and now, look, the snake has bit him and he's going to die. And if you're familiar with the culture at this time, maybe you're aware of all the stories of the Greek gods and the Roman gods, right? And these people would have been very superstitious and they would just assume, ha, the gods have evened the score. This man must be a murderer. He escaped the storm, but he's not going to escape the snake. No doubt, this man is a murderer. Though he's escaped from the sea, justice, the, the god of justice, has not allowed him to live. End of story. No. He, however, shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for, I mean, imagine everyone around the fire, right? Watching him. Any moment now, he's going to keel over. He's going he's to fall over dead. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they, this is funny, that people who just built a fire for him, I mean, maybe there's nothing they could have done, right? I don't know if anybody ran for the anti-venom kit. 
But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. I mean, you talk about changing your mind in a hurry. Talk about wishy-washy people. Ah, that guy, he's a murderer. He's getting what's coming to him. The snake bites him, and they're all huddled around watching. We're going to watch him swell up and then fall over and die. But then he doesn't, and after a little while, they say, you know what? Maybe he's not a murderer. I know he's a god. I mean, you went from the worst to the best in a matter of what couldn't have been more than 15 or 20 minutes. And again, if you understand the way this culture would have thought back then, this, the, um, the, there were gods and demigods and gods that would often um, hide themselves in human form or humans that would, um, that would be helped by the gods. So this was not outside of their worldview to say, ah, that guy, the, the gods have punished him by sending a snake. Oh, he must be a murderer. Oh, no, he didn't die. He must be a god. This isn't, this isn't confusing to the people on the island of Malta. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who, was, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. Fever and dysentery, right? I mean, he's got some kind of stomach issue, and it's a problem. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. Yeah, no kidding. And when we were about to sell, set sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Right, Like they packed the pantry when it was time for Paul and his companions to leave the island of Malta. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Puteoli. We there found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so, finally, we came to Rome. And the brothers, and now Rome is the epicenter of the world at the time. The most powerful, the most significant place of the day. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Apius, and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And I don't have time for a sermon on this, but, but notice what happens to Paul when his brothers and sisters come into his life. He is strengthened and encouraged by the fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar 
though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Though I, I'm sorry, I just repeated verse 19. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Who is the hope of Israel? Christ is the hope of Israel. Verse 21, And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. So Paul's showing up without a bad track track record there in Rome. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Right? These Christians, we know we've heard people speak against them. Verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes they can barely hear. And their eyes, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And Paul lives there in Rome, welcoming people to the gospel. So this morning, the title is Welcome to the Gospel. And the main point is this. You should use all of your life to welcome people to the gospel of King Jesus. You, every single one of you in here, young ones, I won't point at anybody, old ones, everyone should use your life to welcome people to the gospel of King Jesus. This is what God has given you life for. And I I don't mean quit your job and go do something else. God has given you your job in order for you to do this. Our lives, friends, we're writing the biographies of our lives in the way we live, and we need to get to the end of our life, and it needs to be said of us, they, they used their life to welcome people to the gospel of King Jesus. You should use all of your life to welcome people to the gospel of King Jesus. And we're going to focus in on verse 23 this morning. Verse 23 is where we're going to really find... Um, the, the outline for, our, um, for, for the sermon this morning. There was one resource that I studied in particular that really helped me kind of see this in particular. Look in verse 23. It says, When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him, Paul, at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets. And so there are four points this morning, and they're all going to come from verse 23. First of all, we're going to see that Paul reached all people. Point number one is all people. Secondly, Paul used all day to reach people with the gospel. Thirdly, Paul used all scripture 
to reach people with the gospel. And fourthly, Paul knew that it was all about Jesus the King. Okay? So all people, all day, all Scripture, and it was all about Jesus the King. So let's start with point number one. All people. In verse 23, And when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. So here Paul is at Rome. He's in under house arrest. There's a Roman soldier that is literally living there and staying there with him and often even chained to him. And throughout the book of Acts, we see that Paul goes to the Jews in every city first, and then he goes to the Gentiles. Paul has a habit of reaching out to all people. He does it in great numbers. He does it to Jew and Gentile. He does it to the lowliest in society as well as to the most significant. I mean, think about in one day, Paul is both ministering to the the person, uh, the prison guard, while he's also talking to Felix or Festus or Agrippa. Or in this case, we know that he is going to go on and speak to Caesar. As, like th- Paul is speaking to what we would qualify as the lowliest of men. Right Now, we, we would argue and say that there's no such thing as lowly people and important people, but, but we, we operate this way. I mean, we, we actually do kind of think of certain people as lowly, less important, less skilled, less capable, less beautiful, less wealthy, less powerful, to more important and more powerful. Now, there are people that are less wealthy and more wealthy, and there are people who are less influential or powerful and more influential and powerful. But brothers and sisters, when we look at the life of Paul, Paul doesn't seem to be like the one who's reaching the mighty and powerful or simply the down and outer. Paul carries the gospel to all people. Often we know of a person based on the circles that they run in, right? And and we know, oh, that guy, he's kind of an upper middle class person. He doesn't really interact with people like us. Or that guy's a lower class person and he, you know, he's not going to interact with the, the middle class or the upper middle class or the upper class. Brothers and sisters, are you willing to minister to all people. I'm embarrassed to say that there are still some people that it's hard for me to minister to. Are are you too good for poor people? Or maybe on the other end of the spectrum, are you too scared to reach out to rich people? Are you willing to minister to anyone and everyone? Who are we less than comfortable reaching out to? Who do you actually think? And you might not ever say it out loud, but you might think it in your heart. You might think those people, they don't deserve for us to reach out to them. I mean, they're here illegally. They shouldn't even be here in the first place. So why would I take the gospel to them and reach out to them? I mean, they're Democrats or Republicans, whichever 
side of the aisle, you might, I mean, I mean, come on. They have bigger problems than just the fact that they don't know Jesus. I'm speaking tongue-in-cheek, right? I hope that's clear. I mean, they're on the wrong side of so many issues, right? I mean, that person, that person is openly homosexual. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not taking the gospel to them. See, I think we think that we are taking the gospel to all people and that we love all people more than we actually do and more than we actually are. We're to be taking the gospel to all people. It, it was scandalous for Paul, a Jew, to be taking this good news message to people that were not Jews. The Jews did not, the Jews did not like Gentiles. They did, and there were certain Gentiles that they really didn't like, right? Samaritans were definitely on the naughty list, right? The barbarians, right? People... People that weren't that spoke different languages than them. Um, I've had the privilege to travel to the Middle East several times in my life, and been to Egypt, and been to Lebanon, and been to Israel. And to this day, people in those countries love their people and don't love the other people. And I think we look at them as well; they're like that, but we're not. But brothers and sisters, I think some of us need to do some heart evaluating. Who are the people that God has put in your life? Let's, let's forget for a moment all the people in the world, and let's just think about the people that God has put you around. Who are the all people in your life? Start with just your immediate family, your wife and kids, your husband and kids, your, if you're not married, you know, your, your parents, your, your siblings, your, your cousins, nieces, nephews. Those are part of the people that God has put in your life. Do they know the gospel? Have you welcomed them to the gospel? Are there people that are part of your all people that don't know the gospel? Do you want to know one of the reasons why God has made them part of your all people? Follow with me. I know grammatically I'm making all kind of horrible gaffes. Because God wants you to welcome them to the gospel. Your co-workers. Are, do, you, do you have co-workers who don't know the gospel? Do you know one of the reasons why God has you as a co-worker with them? So that you can welcome them to the gospel. Your neighbors. Do you know your neighbors? Do you have neighbors who don't know the gospel? Your friends. And whether they're friends who are real friends You'll know where I'm going with this in a second. Or Facebook friends, right? People were watching on Facebook this morning, right? You're my friends. Whether they're real friends or Facebook friends, and Facebook friends can be real friends. I, I think I told you um, a while back, I, I went to my Facebook, and it showed that I had like, I don't remember now. It was, so, it was a ridiculous number. It may have been close to 3,000 friends. And I thought, I, <laughs> I don't have anywhere near 3,000 friends. And I started looking through them, and I was like, I have, I have no idea who many of these people, these people are. You know, one of the reasons that God has given you both real friends and Facebook friends is so that you can reach them with the gospel, so that you can welcome them to the gospel. Um, you, if you have friends on Facebook, they should know that you're a Christian, and one of the 
One of the reasons, um, let me take a, just a two-minute pause here for a second. One of the reasons that I mention social media stuff so often as part of the application in sermons is because that's where we live. We, we do live in front of people, m- many, some of you don't. And if you're not on social media, I w- well, I'll leave that alone. Um, I'll just do that. Um, if you are on social media, like most of us are or have to be for whatever reason, you are living your life there. So live your life there the same way God's called you to live your life in every other capacity. So use that medium, use that channel to welcome people to the gospel of King Jesus. I don't care if they know your political opinions and don't know that you are a follower of King Jesus and how they can become a follower of King Jesus. It will do them no good to become a follower of the Republican Party and then die and go to hell. Okay, there was my, 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 uh, my Facebook, uh, my social media um, rant. How, do you use your life to reach all people with the gospel of King Jesus? You should welcome all people to the gospel. Secondly, Paul used all of his days and all of his day. Look in verse 23. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus. From morning until evening. And then even in other places, verse 30, it talks about how that he lived there for two years. So it wasn't just one day he spent from morning until evening, but he spent from morning till evening and very likely for two years every day from morning till evening. This is how Paul used his life. He used all of his life and all of his day. He was focused and diligent to share the gospel, to welcome people to the gospel. And sharing the gospel with people often takes time. It usually takes time. And I think some of us kind of grew up with this idea that you can meet a stranger on the street, give them a track, and in 30 seconds have them repeating to you some kind of sinner's prayer. And then now they're a follower of Jesus Christ, and you can leave them and and never worry about them again. That is not disciple-making. Disciple-making often takes weeks and months and years. There are some people who may hear a short gospel message and come to, know faith in Christ, uh, come to faith in Christ. But it's usually those who have got some kind of background and understanding of the Christian scriptures and how the world works, or how, how the, the, the Bible um, works. They have an understanding of, of Christianity to begin with. I remember hearing a story of um, these missionaries that went into this village, and I really don't remember if it was in India or Africa. I don't remember where, South America. But they went, in, uh, and w- went into this village, and um, they took months explaining the story of the Bible. They started literally with the book of Genesis, and they explained that there is, a, there is one creator God, and he created the world. And, and they started telling the story because this tribe had no understanding whatsoever of the God of the Bible and the problem of man's sin and the fact that the God of the Bible sent his son Christ to come and live and die They had no understanding of any of this. And as they walked through the the story of the Bible, um, this tribe each each day would come and listen to the missionaries teach the story. And when they got to the part where Jesus Christ was crucified, they kind of panicked. And the, the missionary on purpose left it hanging until the next day when he was going to explain it in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here, was, here were people who didn't have the background. They needed 
months of time. They needed uh, a, an enormous investment of time and energy in order for them to come to a saving faith of Jesus Christ. And there were many in that village who did come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior through this investment of all day, every day, over and over and over. The point I want to make for us, I think the application for us isn't so much you need to go be a missionary and give 24-7, 365 to telling other people about Jesus. Though there may be some of you in here that God will do that with. There may be some who would be watching, and that is where God is leading you and taking you. And I, I pray that God will raise up people from it within this congregation to go and take his, his good news to the nations. But for most of us, it, it means this. We need to put an end to uh, what many theologians have called the secular sacred split, where part of my life is sacred and part of my life is secular. You understand what I'm saying when I say this, right? Like I go to church, I read my Bible a little bit occasionally and uh, maybe listen to some Christian music on the way to work. And like, that's my sacred part of me. But then most of my life is the secular part of me where I'm doing whatever I do, working on cars and planting fields and and, you know, feeding cattle and that sort of, like, most of my life is a very unreligious, un, it's a secular thing. And what I want, what brothers and sisters, what the scriptures make clear, and what I want to make clear this morning is that there's no such thing as a sacred part of you and a secular part of you that are separated from each other. We're Christians. All day, every day, we are in communication, or, or can be, with the creator God of the universe. And we can be in fellowship with him and, in, in, uh, and can be sharing the gospel of, of Christ with others all the time, every day. You're an ambassador for Jesus Christ 24-7. Our world needs Christians who have an awareness that they are Christians 24-7. You should use all day, all of your life, to welcome people to the gospel. Point number three. All of Scripture. We're going to take a minute with this. Verse 23, it says that at the end, that Paul, as he was trying to convince them about Jesus, he did it both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And I don't think that phrase is in there by accident. What, what Luke is telling us here is that Paul used the Bible to explain to people the truths about Jesus. Some of you already know where I'm going with this. What Bible did Paul have? What do we call the scriptures that Paul had? Yeah, the Old Testament. Right. Did Paul have the book of Acts? No, he didn't, he didn't have the book of Acts with him. He didn't have the Old and New Testament. In fact, it's described here as the law of Moses, right, which is the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets, and the way that uh, Jews would have referred to the Scriptures as they, the, the law of Moses and the prophets is just referring to all of the Old Testament writings there. And what Luke is recording for us is this, that Paul used all of his life, all day, and he used all of the Scriptures to argue for the fact that Jesus Christ is this promised Messiah. The, the serpent crusher that was mentioned in Genesis chapter 3, Jesus Christ is the serpent uh, crusher. 
all of those sacrifices that were made in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, Jesus Christ is the perfect sacrifice. The kings and priests and prophets who failed over and over and over again throughout Joshua and Judges, Jesus Christ is the perfect prophet and priest and king. The, 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 um, the anointed one who needs to come to save Israel, the, the prophets are, are, are declaring how, how bad Israel is and the judgment that's going to come upon them if they don't repent. The one who's going to come and save them is this Messiah. And so Paul knows the Old Testament incredibly well, and he's using the Old Testament to argue, to, to reason with people. Ar- argue, we get confused sometimes when I use the word argue, and we think that it's some. Arguing simply means that like, he's making his case and he's making his point. Paul is using the Bible to make his point about Jesus. Brothers and sisters, you too must know the Bible. And here, um, when I preach, usually in every sermon, there's like a, a moment in the sermon that I'm burdened to really communicate. So heads up, here's my burden to communicate this morning. Brothers and sisters, I want us to be a church full of people. Those brothers and sisters that are watching on Facebook, I hope you're tuned in right now. I want us to be people who are word people. You need to know the scriptures. You must know your Bible. And some of you don't. You don't read it yourself. You don't read it as a family. And I'm not, I'm not here to, to, to shame us or, or um, discourage us here this morning. God has told us, your, Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet. Who needed a lamp for their feet in 2020? Who is going to need one in 2021? Brothers and sisters, let me take a second and just argue for the point, argue three points under this. You need the Word of God personally, you need the Word of God for your family, and you need the Word of God for others. Let me walk through each of those. So the, if you're taking notes, those are three sub-points. You need the Word of God personally. And I know at the beginning of the year is kind of a time where we start thinking about Bible reading plans and schedules and that sort of thing. And I think that's great. I, I do that. I encourage you to do that. It's a great time to start reading the Bible. M- most of you, though, not most, many of you, don't read the Bible with any plan or regularity at all. And again, I could easily guilt us by simply comparing the amount of time we spend watching TV or YouTube or Instagram or Facebook or listening to the radio and just say, well, I mean, think about all the time you spend doing that every day and then think about how much time you spend with God in His Word. But time isn't actually our problem. Love is. And that's a whole nother sermon. Brothers and sisters, um, you, you must read your Bible. And I know that when I say that, especially those of us who grew up maybe in very legalistic forms of Christianity, when I say you must read your Bible, you might start to respond with a little bit of like, whoa, 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 whoa. like, yeah, I know it's important, I know I need to meditate on it, but you, you know, as soon as you start making these declarations, it sounds legalistic, and boy, we need to re- be really careful about becoming legalistic Christians and checking off the boxes to earn favor with God. I completely and totally agree, but let me try this illustration with you. I feel like a doctor who's looking at a patient, and if they don't take their medication, they'll die. 
what would that doctor say to that person regarding their medicine? He would say, you know, if you feel like it, you might want to consider taking this occasionally. No, no. He would be a very bad doctor if he did that. He would say, "Um, you have to take this. You're going to die if you don't take this. You must take it. And that patient, that person, wouldn't think, what a legalistic jerk. I mean, he's just all, all he cares about is performance, my performance as a patient. He's not going to do that, right? He's going to be a good doctor, and he's going to say, you must take this. You have to take this to live. Brothers and sisters, I would be a poor pastor if I just kind of threw it out there as, you know, you might want to consider. No, you, you must do this. You have to. You'll die if you don't. Again, a series of sermons could be preached on that. The problem is love, and the way that we will love God more is by being in His Word. It's a wonderful, it's not a vicious cycle, it's a wonderful cycle. If you spend time with Him in His Word, you'll love Him more. The more you love Him, the more you'll want to spend time with Him. The more you want to spend time with Him, the more you'll love Him. It's a a wonderful upward cycle. And and brothers and sisters, there, there there are more ways than ever for us to get the Word of God into us. I know, I know some of you are not particularly strong readers. You don't like to read. You don't ever read anything. Um, you know, if there's a book or a movie version of it, it's always going to be the movie version of it. And I get it. I know some people aren't strong readers, and I understand that. And I know some people just don't enjoy reading. Or many of you, because of the life that you live, when you sit down to read, it's lights out, right? Like, you've been working hard all day. You sit down open the book of Leviticus, and, you know, after the fourth so-and-so begat so-and-so, your eyes are closed and you're asleep, okay? I'm not faulting you for that. Um, Technology is not the bad guy. Technology actually can be used to help us. And friends, there are more ways than ever for us to actually use even technology to be part of God's means of grace into our lives, right? So if if you find it difficult to sit and read without falling asleep, or you think, I don't have time to sit and read, then let me encourage you to listen to the Bible, which is the way most Christians have gotten the Word of God into them throughout history. Throughout history, most Christians listened. They weren't um, literate. They couldn't read the Bible for themselves, and so they would gather like this, and they would listen to the Word of God read. Well, with the technology that we have, not my phone's on the, on the, the stand there, but with the technology that we have now, If you have a five-minute drive to work in the morning, you can get the Word of God in you. You can listen to the Bible. I want to, I don't do this often. This this, um, This is very much the application part of my sermon here this morning. If you've got the YouVersion app, that Bible will read the Word of God out loud to you. This is the way that I, for several years now, have been reading the Bible. I'll pull it up on my iPad. Thank you. Um, there's someone in, in the church who gave me this iPad, and I use it every day. Um, and I use it every morning right now for my devotions. I, I often prefer to read out of a physical copy of the Scriptures. That's great. But I, I love this as well. And so what I will do is I will open up my, my Scripture reading for the day, and I'll put my headphones in because it's early and I don't want to be disturbing people. And, I, and, and then I will push play, and I will listen and read the Bible as it scrolls through my scripture reading for the day. Um, Am I completely engrossed and tuned in every single day, day after day? Unfortunately, no. Um, But this this is how I get the Word of God in me. 
um, because I have a hard time focusing. And so hearing it and seeing it is incredibly helpful to me. I just found out and just downloaded it last night, and I'm going to put it on all of my kids' um, uh, devices as well. It's called the Dwell app. Anybody familiar with the Dwell app? Okay. It won't bother me at all if you get your phones, iPads, stuff out right now, and look up the Dwell app. I think it's, well, I don't think, I know. It's $30 a year, so it's an expensive app as far as apps go. Think of it, if you bought a new Bible, a new Bible would cost 30 bucks, okay? So, but then you can share it with your, with your family. The Dwell app is super cool. Very pretty, very aesthetically pleasing. Um, it's got like four, five, six different voices that you can choose to have the Bible read to you, several different versions of the Bible that you can have. There's music. If you want music in the background, you can put music in the background. You can put no music in the background. Um, you can select how fast you want the scriptures read to you or how slowly you want the scriptures read to you. They have a bunch of different reading plans, right? So here, um, let's see here. So on the Bible reading plans page of the app, um, there's the straight through the Bible in a year plan, 365 days. There's a reading for every day. Guess if you were going to read through the Bible in 365 days at the, just the normal, slow pace that they're reading to you out loud, how many minutes a day do you think on average you need to read through the Bible in a year? 15. 15 minutes. You can speed the, the, the way that it reads to you. It actually reads it quite slowly. You could speed it up a little bit if you wanted to. Um, it tells you how long that day's reading is going to be, reading it at that pace. Um, so there's the there's 365 straight through. There's the chronological Bible plan that you could read through. There's the historical Bible plan. There's the McShane Bible plan, which reads Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs every day throughout the... Um, there's the five-day-a-week plan where you can read through the Bible, but it's just five days a week. And that's nice for those of us who miss a day now and then, right? Or maybe a day or two per week. I, I, my Bible reading plans are never more than six days a week because I just know I'm going to either miss a day or I, usually on Sunday I give attention to the passage that we're going to be preaching so I don't necessarily do a devotional reading um, apart from the scriptures themselves that day. Brothers and sisters, look, this is super, super simple. You can customize it to be just exactly what, if you haven't read through the Bible, if you've never read through the Bible, this would be an incredibly helpful and easy way for you to do that. You could do it on your way to work in the morning, and just with that 10, 15-minute drive, you could have your scripture read and have the Word of God in you. And then you do that every day for a year, and you'll get through the Word of God. You can get through the Bible. Um, there's, there, are other, there are other ways to read through the Bible. There's the 5 by 5 by 5 plan. We've got these on the back table. Uh, this is just getting you through the New Testament. You can tuck that in your Bible. My kids this last year did something really similar to this. So I kind of prepared for my older three, um, uh, read through the New Testament in a year plan. And I think most of them, I need to kind of check in with them. I think most of them did it. Um, don't hold me to that. I know one of them did it. Um, or is almost done doing it. Um, you can get a copy of the scripture like this, a one-year Bible. And inside this, um, there, it, it literally tells you what to read on any given day. And this one is the English Standard Version. And there's a reading from the Old Testament. There's a reading from the New Testament. There's a reading from Psalms. And there's a reading from Proverbs. And it, you don't have to, it takes all the guesswork out. You know what to read on January 1st. And you know what to read on April 2nd. Because it's all just right here. You read through this and you read through the Bible. Um, 
So, so again, I, I want to encourage you that as a Christian, like this is your book. It, you need to know it. You need to have read it. And I would encourage you to read it over and over and over again. Um, uh, Angie has a friend um, who, um, uh, she, I think she posted something on, on Facebook recently about Bible reading. Uh, this is a mom with six children. One of them has Down syndrome, and her husband is in the military and is gone frequently for long periods of time. She just read through the Bible in 90 days, writing down a comment for each chapter of the Bible as she read. Just one comment for each chapter of the Bible as she read. Okay, now, the, only, the reason I'm even bringing this up is to say, if she can do it, none of the rest of us have an excuse, right? Like, we, we can spend 15-ish minutes a day and, and read, read the Bible. Um. There's so much more that I want to say about it. But brothers and sisters, you need it personally. You need a lamp for your feet and a light for your path. And there's a lot of really smart, capable, wise people in this room, but, but you, you don't have the wisdom to navigate life just because you're kind of a good conservative person and you've made good decisions for yourself most of your life. You need this. And I don't care how long you've been a Christian, you still need this. You don't mature out of needing this. You mature into needing it more. You need it personally. And secondly, you need it as a family. And I realize that not everyone in here has a family. Not everyone in here is married. But, but most in here are either married or have a family. And even if you don't have children at home, let me encourage you to read the Bible together. In fact, I would say this. If you have the choice of, re of either reading the Bible privately and personally or, and, the, and, it's, and it's an either or, you only have one of these two options, or you can read the Bible together with your family, I would encourage you to read the Bible together with your family. Because when you read the Bible with your family, you are reading the Bible for yourself. When I have our family Bible reading time, I pay far more attention to what I'm reading because I'm thinking through explaining it to my children. When I read the Bible as a family, I pay closer attention to it. I'm, think, uh, I'm, I'm leading my family spiritually in that moment just by reading the Bible. Right? The, you, you, you guys know me and you know my wife. You know who is more spiritual. But when I read the Bible for, as, a, as a dad in our family, I kind of get to be the leader. I'm, lead, like, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this is valuable and we're going to do this. This is important. And I'm instructing my children and they're learning and they're asking questions. So if you only had the option of doing one or the other, get, read the Bible with your spouse. Read the Bible with your family. Again, regardless of how old or young you are, you can do this. You need it as a family. It will benefit you. And I realize it might be awkward at first. If you're not, if this is not part of your regular family routine, regular family practice, this might be like, you know, when you say, okay, kids, and you, you know, all right, everybody, we're going we're gonna to read, read the scriptures together. They don't have to be reading through the Bible in a year. Read through a book of the Bible this year. Read a few verses at the dinner table. It might be a little awkward at first, but, but start it, begin it, and make it easy and fun. You can make it easy and fun. Right? Leave whatever passage of Scripture you're going to be reading together, leave it on the dinner table. 
eat dinner together and read, do your family devotional time, your couple devotional time before, before you leave the table with each other. There were, years ago, um, I told my kids that um, if we finished dinner and I got up and left before I led our family in our Bible reading, that they, could get, they would get 10 cents, right? So basically, they were financially um, motivated to catch me not leading our family in family worship. They made a lot of money that year, um, but it wasn't just like, well, you get your 10 cents and I'm not going to read the Bible to you. They would, Dad! And I'd think, oh, you're right, you caught me. They'd get their 10 cents and then I'd sit down and read the Bible. Like, brothers and sisters, this is worth working hard for. You are people who know how to work hard for things that are important to you. This is, this is important and it's worth working hard for. Um, so make it fun, make it easy, make, uh, you know, put it on the dinner table or the bedside table and read it. Um, something that I have found to be very helpful and very um, useful when it comes to reading together as a family is this book. Um, it's called The Story, and basically it is an abridged version of the Bible. It is not the Bible. It's not a full version of the Bible, um, and it's, a, it's an abridged and abbreviated version of the Bible. So what it's doing is starting in the book of Genesis and going all the way through the book of Revelation, and it's pulling all of the, the story, the highlights together. It's leaving out some of the so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, and the measurements of the boundaries of the land. It's leaving out some of that, but including the big important stories. How many of you have used this at all? Raise your hand. Anybody? I know I promoted it a few years ago. Okay. Our family read through it. We found it very profitable. I've talked to some other people uh, who have used it and found it very profitable as well. This is an easy, accessible way. Um, and in fact, I'm thinking that we are going to, um, as a church, use this to guide even our weekly scripture reading um, as a congregation. And so there's going to be more to come. Matt uh, Moore and I have been talking about it. And, and uh, I think he may end up leading us as a congregation through reading that together um, as a congregation uh, here in, in this year. So more to, more to come there. Um, yeah. So, brothers and sisters, you need the Bible for yourself, you need the Bible for your family, and you need it to share with others, right? If we're welcoming people to the gospel with all of our lives and all of our days, with all of the scripture, then you need to know the Bible well enough to share it with other people. When's the last time you shared scripture with someone else? Not just your good advice, not just I think, or even I think maybe the Bible says something about it, but when's the last time as you were speaking truth into someone's life or trying to encourage someone or giving someone advice that you actually used the words of God? That should be a pretty normal thing. If you have children, it should be multiple times a day. Really, it should be. You should have the Word of God in you in such a way that you can just speak it to other people and remind them of the truths of God's Word. You need the Bible for you, you need it for your family, and you need it to share with others. And then finally, this brings us to the last point, that Paul knew how all of the Scriptures pointed to King Jesus. Keep your finger there in Acts 28, and look in Luke 24. Who wrote Luke? Luke. And who wrote Acts? Luke. In Luke 24, verse 27, Luke is describing Jesus Christ's interaction with these disciples on the road to Emmaus. And look what happens here when Jesus 
is explaining himself, the Messiah, to these disciples. Verse 27, Luke 24, 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets. Does that phrase sound familiar? That's what we just read in chapter 28, verse 23. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them, those disciples, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So what was Jesus doing? He was using the Old Testament scriptures to tell those disciples about himself. All of the Old Testament scriptures pointed to him. And Jesus is telling those disciples, all of the Old Testament scriptures are pointing to me. And now, in Acts chapter 28, verse 23, Paul is doing the exact same thing. Look again, um, if you're still in Luke 24. Look in verses 44 through 47. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Right? He's saying Old Testament is, is pointing to me. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And so Jesus is saying this in Luke 24, 27, and 44 through 47, and Paul's doing the exact same thing here in chapter 28, verse 23. And if you're the kind of person who likes to write things in your Bible, you might want to write there next to verse 23, a cross-reference to Luke chapter 24, verse 27. All of the scriptures, brothers and sisters, are all about Jesus the King. Paul wasn't just trying to get people to read their Bibles. And I'm not just trying to get you to read your Bible. There's a reason I'm trying to get you to read your Bible. There's a reason Paul was, was uh, explaining and showing all of the scriptures to people. He was doing it because Jesus is the king. And they needed to come into relationship with him or they needed to grow in relationship with him. The reason that I want you to be in the word of God is so that either you will come into relationship with Jesus Christ and be saved or that you will grow in your relationship with him. The reason I want you, men, dads, Fathers, uh, husbands, and, and dads especially, the reason I want you to be leading your family and reading the Scriptures is because I want you to be leading your family into growing relationship with the King. He was trying to convince them about Jesus. That's what verse 23 says. Look again in verse 23. He expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God, and trying to convince them about Jesus. He was welcoming them to the gospel. And the gospel is the good news about Jesus. It's the good news that Jesus is the king. We live in a world where even the very best political rulers leave us horribly dissatisfied. Brothers and sisters, but there is a king who is the king of all presidents. He's the king of all kings. He's the ruler of all rulers. And you can and must know him. Paul spent his life, all of his days, and all of the scriptures trying to convince all people that the scriptures are all about Jesus. He wanted to convince them about Jesus. 
He was sharing the good news about Jesus, the gospel. That's what the word gospel means. Jesus is the king. That's the message that Paul was carrying. And so, friends, as, as you use all of your life with all of the scriptures to reach all people, what are you trying to reach them with and what are you trying to reach them for? Are you just trying to make them more moral? Are you just trying to win them to a political uh, argument? Are you just trying to convince them of conservative fiscal politics? What, what are you trying to welcome them to? I hope that you are trying to win people and welcome them to Jesus. Paul was trying to convince them about Jesus. And friends, we have to know Jesus and know him through the scriptures in order to win people to him. Look again at verses 30 and 31. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. And what did, he, what did Paul welcome people to? Proclaiming the kingdom. That's where I'm getting the idea of Christ the king, amongst other places. Verse 23 refers to the kingdom of God. Verse 31, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. I've said this many times and I'll keep saying it. There's only one in the phrase Lord Jesus Christ. Only one of those words is a name and the other two are titles. The word Jesus is his name. Lord is a title and Christ is a title. Lord means master, the one who's in charge, the one who's in control, the one that I bow my, that I bow my head and my, I bow my knee to and I say, you're, you're in charge. Christ is the anointed one, the Messiah, the promised one. And what Paul was trying to convince people of was that this Jesus is your Lord and your ma- he's your master and your savior. He's the promised one that from all of the Old Testament writings we've been pointed toward We're to be anticipating he's the promised one and you need to bow your knee to him. So if you're here this morning or you're listening this morning and you've never bowed your knee to Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your master, then you must. This is the message that Paul is trying to communicate and this is the message that God has left us with. We're ambassadors as well. And the good news is that if you'll turn from your sin and trust in him as your savior, He will be your Lord and Savior and deliver you from the punishment that you have earned and that you've deserved with your life. So what? So what about all this? As we're getting toward the end of the book, like I said, we're finishing Acts chapter 28, but we're going to spend a series talking about kind of uh, recapping all of the book of Acts and talk about how we are Acts chapter 29. But as we kind of conclude chapter 28 this morning, so what? Well, two things here, brothers and sisters. First of all, let's learn from the Apostle Paul. He did say, follow me as I follow Christ. So let's look at the example of the Apostle Paul and and seek to, by the power of the Spirit, follow in his footsteps and live all of our days with uh, to reach all people with all of the Scripture um, that's pointing to Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Let's learn from Paul. And then let's also rejoice in the good news that Paul brought. And let's share that good news with other people. If you bow your heads and close your eyes, Paul would certainly, if he were here this morning preaching, 
He'd want to give anyone who didn't know Christ as their Savior the opportunity to turn from their sins and trust in Him. And if you're here this morning and you need to, or if you're watching online this morning, obviously feel free to reach out to, to me or to someone. We'd love to visit with you about how you can come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. I think for those in here, though, who do know Christ as our Savior, we need to realize that God, God does have a mission for us, and it's not just for us to get more stuff and to have more influence and to have more money and to have great Christmases. It's actually we, le- we are left here to be ambassadors with this, with this gospel, with this good news. I want us to be people who live our lives welcoming people for the gospel. Father, I pray now this morning that you'd use your word in our lives to make us more like Jesus. I pray that we would give um, all of our time to you and that we would seek to reach all people for you and that we would know all of your word as well as we can, that we would get it in us and that we would both remember and share with others that it's all about the good news of King Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. I'm going to ask Paula to come to the piano. I'm going to ask Jennifer.